Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. This morning, I'd like you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 42 through 47, because in that passage, we see four primary responsibilities that the early church embraced that really, when you think about it, the day of Pentecost happens, and then there's this, there is this parenthetical passage, if you will, that says, okay, Pentecost happens, it's very powerful. Now as we go through the rest of the book of Acts, we're gonna see God working in such significantly powerful ways and we're gonna watch the gospel advance and it begs the question, how did that happen? How did they respond? How did they process it? What did they do that made it possible for God to do what he wanted to do? You know, there's a sense where the person who would say, well, if God wants to do it, it'll happen. Not necessarily so. God's will is not automatically done. That's a mistake when people think that. God is not willing that any would perish, but some do. God's will is not automatic. You and I have, have a responsibility. Paul says, it is God who is at work in you, Philippians 2. Now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If God is at work, then you and I must be active in partnering and participating with his work in us and in the place we're a part of. The early church understood that, and so we get a glimpse in the life in Acts chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, that then positions us for understanding all the things we're going to see in the chapters that follow. Let me give you four responsibilities that we need to embrace or that we would have. Number one, vibrant worship. The first responsibility is one of vibrant worship. We have a tendency to think of worship as people singing, as what happens when the song service is going on. And certainly that is a part of worship. And, and as we're singing, there are supernatural things happening. As we're singing, there, heaven is engaging with you, is engaging with this place. In the house of God, in Genesis 28, Jacob, he has this vision, and he sees angels ascending and descending, and he says, this is the house of God, the gate of heaven. The place where God is worshipped, there is, there is that, that moving from one reality to another, moving in from the natural to the supernatural, and there are angels, and all kinds of things are, are happening there. As we're worshiping, I would suggest to you that, that their battles are being fought and they are being won and things are being changed as we follow in worship. But worship isn't just what we do when we sing. Worship isn't just what we do in this room. Worship is how you and I live. Paul says we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable worship. In other words, when you know who God is and you know how he works, the reasonable, the logical, the practical, the right thing to do is to live a life that glorifies him. That's worship. Right. 
Worship then isn't just what happens in this room. It's what happens in our lives. It's what happens in our heart. It's what happens in our mind. It's what happens in our words. And it's what happens in this place. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. All the believers... This is instructive because you're going to see this again. Uh, the, the believers operating as a whole, not just Peter, not just John, not Andrew, not just James, not just the apostles, not just the 12, not just the pastoral staff, all the believers. A move of God is dependent upon everyone who is a part of that place jumping in. Being a part, the believers devoted themselves. They were all in. They were full on. They were, they were given to what's happening. They devoted themselves. And then it tells us four things. They devoted themselves. The, the first thing I want you to notice about this vibrant worship is it starts with people who have made the worship of God their top priority. That's what it means to be devoted. Church wasn't something they did if they didn't have anything else to do. Church wasn't something they did if their kids didn't have games and if, if they didn't have this place to go to or that place to go to or if they felt like going. No, church was something that was the top priority, not just another priority. They were passionate about it. They gave themselves to it. They loved the church. They were a part of the church. They were active in the church. That's what we're going to read in the, in, the, in the verse, in the words that follow. They were very involved with their whole life in loving the church, being a part of the church. Parents, let me just say this to you. One of the greatest things you will ever do for your children is to teach them to be lovers of the church. One of the worst things you could do is to go home and criticize the church. Because if you constantly point out the faults, listen, there's no, there's no perfect place. And if there's a problem, let us know. We want to do our best to solve it. But if you're tearing down the church, it will be impossible for your kids to love the church. And the best thing you can teach your children to do is to love the church. And you teach them to love the church by being at the church, serving in the church, about talking highly about the church, about celebrating what God is doing in the church. I was going through some papers this week. Actually, I'd, I needed a password. Have you ever had like one of these companies where they give you a password? And they're like, if you ever lose this password, you're in deep weeds because we're not going to tell you what it is and you won't ever be able to. And it was like one of those things. And so this week, you know, we moved a... a a while ago, about a year and a half ago. And how many know when you move, things go different places? And you're like, I was, so I was looking for this password. I could not find it. So I'm looking all over for it. Can't find it. But I'm going through all the files. And I was going through the files. I found this letter and it said, in case of emergency. And I thought, oh, this would be interesting to see. Because it was written 20 years ago. I could tell by the letterhead. So it's one of those letters like you write in case the plane goes down. You know, that, that kind of thing. It's like, what, what would I tell Debbie to do? So I was like reading it to see what I said. 
So as I'm reading through this letter, one of the things I'm talking about is that so this is 20 years ago. And the thing that stood out to me is the, one of the things that I read was, you know, it got to my library. And this is before everything. Now my library is all on a computer. But back in that day, you had the library and I built this library. And so I'm like, on the library, you know, this is, you know, um, if any of the kids decide to go in the ministry, then give it to them. And, and uh, if not, give it to the church. So what that told me was, at that point, I don't even know my kids are going in the ministry. 20 years ago, and it just dawned on me, 20 years ago, I did not know my kids were going into the ministry. My kids didn't know they were, it never entered my mind that they would go in the ministry. It wasn't even a, I mean, it was kind of like, well, maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't, who knows? Because I didn't care about them going in the ministry. I cared about them loving God. I mean, it didn't matter to me what they did vocationally. What mattered to me was that they loved God with all their heart. And if they did that, everything else would work out. Teach your kids to love the church, to be passionate about the church. And you can't create in them what's not in you. You can't drop your kids off at the church and tell them you're passionate about the church. You can't tell them it's good for you, but I don't need it. No, we all need all that the church. I'm just, I'm just encouraging you to teach them to love the church, to love the Lord, to love his church, to love his people, to talk up what God is doing. Listen, we'll find in life what we look for. Look for the good. Be passionate about the church. Be devoted. Be vibrant. Worship prioritizes solid teaching. It says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were there. They were committed and interested in information and application of divine truth. Why? Because you cannot grow beyond what you know. Certainly, you can have experiences that develop you, but if you, don't, if you don't have your life anchored in the Word of God, those experiences can take you places that are outside of God's will. We've got to know the Word of God. You, you don't need to be entertained. I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. There's a lot of talk today in church circles about people have short attention spans. You can't give them a lot of content. You have to be very entertaining. I lose on all of those accounts. I, I mean, I am not funny. I'm not entertaining. You don't need to he, see me try to tell you a joke. I'm not very good at it. You don't need to hear my philosophy on the latest whatever. What you need to hear is the Word of God because it's the Word of God that transforms us. It's the Word of God that changes us. It's the Word of God that grows us. It's the Word of God that encourages us when we're weak. It confronts us when we're wrong. It, it lifts us up and builds us. It renews our mind. It shapes our thinking. It it, it gives us what we need for life and godliness. It's the word of God that in a moment like this, in a season like this in the church, not only strengthens your faith, but gives you the ability to live in faith. In fact, look at it in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. So then faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's not saying faith comes from the Word of God. What the Word of God does is faith gives you and I the ability to hear from God. It sensitizes our heart. It sensitizes our mind. It renews us so that you and I can hear the voice of God. And then when God speaks, with his speaking is the power to accomplish what he's spoken. You say, what do you mean? So like, 
the Lord speaks to you, you've been in the word, the Lord speaks to your heart and says, you need to give so-and-so a call or you need to text them because they need encouragement. The word of God enabled you to hear God's voice and with hearing God's voice was the power, the divine power to affect the purpose for which he spoke to you, which in this case would be encouraging the person you're texting. Because honestly, when I'm texting somebody to encourage them, they're going to need more than just what my words can give. They're going to need the weight and the presence and the grace of the Lord to settle on that and, uh, and to strengthen them supernaturally. I don't want people to just be encouraged with what I can say. I want them to be encouraged by the grace on what I say. Put it to you this way. The word of God, you're hearing the voice of God and the voice of God, faith is coming to you. You're hearing the voice of God to share Christ with your neighbor, to share Christ with your friend. And all of a sudden what happens is with the voice of God is the power of God to not only propel you to do what might be hard for you to do normally, but to do it with such a grace and a power that somebody's life's transformed. Take it a step further. So when you're walking by faith, you're in the word of God. Now you can hear the voice of God. When you hear the voice of God, the voice of God is saying, I want you to pray for that person so that they will be healed. And with the voice of God is the power of God to accomplish the will of God. Are you with me? This is the value of being in the Word of God. It's the value of hearing the Word of God on Sunday and Wednesday. It's the value of, of being in the Word on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday. You're in the Word. You're loving the Word. You're listening to the Word so that the voice of God can speak to you. Third, vibrant worship values interaction with other believers. Notice in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. What is fellowship? Fellowship, the word in the Greek is koinonia. Here's the way we would define it, to share something in common with others. So it's a sharing. It's, a, it's what I have is yours, what, what you have if I need it. It's this back and forth, this sharing. Now back to Acts chapter 2. And to sharing in meals including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Spiritual growth, your spiritual growth, is not a do-it-yourself project. The problem in the American church today, because the American church has embraced some of the independence of the American culture in their spirituality, and you do that to your detriment. God never designed you to just walk with him by yourself, irrespective of other people around you. There are some things God wants to do in your life. He wants to speak to your heart, but they will only happen not in your personal devotional time, but in your fellowship with other believers. Church isn't primarily a personal experience where you get what you need and then go on. Church is community. It's, it's people gathering together. It's, it's people doing life together. I mean, you get that idea right from the, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, not my Father. It's a recognition of the, the community of believers that we come together to worship. Give us this day our daily bread. We're praying for the needs of others, not just our own. 
Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass. Lead us not into temptation. We're praying not just for our own life, but for the needs and the lives of others. Church is about talking to others. It's about, or it's about encouraging others. It's about praying for others. It's about building relationships. You say, yeah, but you know, John, a church's size, it's so big. Like because the size has something to do with how many people you can know. Listen, in, the, in any church, regardless of the size of the church, you're going to know, I think, uh, the average is like 65 or 70 people. Doesn't matter if it's a church of 200. Doesn't matter if it's a church of 125. You're going to know about 70 people. We're just saying at James River, you have more of the 70 to choose from. So you, get a, you, get, you have more selection. That's all we're saying. People act like because they can't know everybody, they can't know anybody. That's not true. People act like because it's, there's a lot of people, they can't know any people. Listen, if you don't like a big church, sit on the front row and don't look back. It'll just be you and me right there. Be about as small a church as you can get. <laughs> people say, but you know, John, here's the deal. I just don't really think I need the fellowship, which misses the point entirely and betrays a lack of understanding of what the body of Christ is all about, of which every Christian is a part. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. We're all a part of Christ's body. If a part of our body says, you know what? I don't want to be a part of that body anymore. What would we say that is? If the hand says, I'm not doing anything anymore, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> we would call that a disability. We would call it an illness. If it's a certain part of the body that chooses to participate, we'd call it death. If the heart says, I'm done, <laughs> I do all the work. I pump, you know, a bazillion times uh, a day, and I mean, you know, the hair just sits there. It just blows in the wind. That's all it does. I'm tired of doing all the work for the hair. That doesn't work. It's a bad deal when the heart gets cops an attitude like that, right? I mean, Paul alludes to this in verse 21. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. You can't say as a part of, listen, this church or any church, but every believer's got to be in a church. So you can't say, I don't need other people. Because even if you think that and it's not true, you need them more than you realize, what if they need you? And we all need one another. I mean, the church needs you. That's why, we have, that's why we have Grow Track. But honestly, and if you haven't gone through Grow Track, you need to. But if you've gone through Grow Track, my, my real concern right now is not how many have gone through Grow Track, but how many are on a dream team. Because until you complete Grow Track and get on a dream team, you're really not done. Because it's in serving on a dream team alongside other people that you're going to minister to them and they're going to minister to you. 
why we have life groups. We have online life groups. So you can, you can be a part of a community of believers that prays for you, that encourages you, and that you pray for and encourage. Honestly, the surest way to damage what God is doing in this place is to become isolated and independent from one another. We have to work to be together. The enemy wants to separate you. If you're happy doing your Christian, and I say this in love, but I say it as a pastor who loves you. If you're happy doing your Christianity by yourself, then you bought into a lie from the enemy. Because it's his lie that says, I don't need anybody. I'm, I'm good where I'm at. That's what the enemy wants you to think. Because when you're alone and when you're by yourself and when you're doing life by yourself, you are more vulnerable than you can possibly imagine. Fourth thing, a subpoint is this vibrant worship prioritizes prayer. And we read this in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. Do you know why we're experiencing a move of God? There's certainly an, an, a sense where God has sovereignly set his hand upon this church, but that was true before we started the prayer meeting. And the church grew and was big before the prayer meeting. But when we started to pray, things happened that hadn't happened before. I can go back and I can show you that as soon as the church started the prayer meeting, exponentially, not mildly, not somewhat, not kind of, sort of, exponentially, we saw more people saved, we saw more people baptized, we saw more people growing in the Lord, we saw God do more of all that he was doing. Why? Because when people pray, God works. In Acts 2.42, all the believers devoted themselves to prayer. It's not talking about individual prayer. It's assumed people would pray on their own and would have their time with the Lord. What it's talking about is they devoted themselves, as we're going to see later in the chapter and in the next chapter, to seasons of prayer together as a church. The reason why God is moving right now is because people for 23 years have prayed. And when you pray, there's an accumulating weight of God's presence. It builds, it builds, it builds. And God does more and more and more. And that's what we're seeing. And that's why I would say to you, if you've not been to the prayer meeting, you ought to come. You ought to watch what God is doing. I'm telling you, Wednesday night was absolutely powerful. And we've not begun to see all that God's going to do as the church praise. They didn't say, well, you know what? That was wonderful. Praise God. He's working and then stay home. No, they said, we're going to get together. We're going to pray because we know when we pray, God does things. They prayed 10 days and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now they're like, oh, we're going to pray some more because we want to see what God's going to do. And God did not disappoint. Prayer makes a huge difference. Let me give you a second thing, signs and wonders. Look at it in verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe. I want to stop just for a moment and I want to say a couple of things. First of all, everyone, not just Pastor Peter and Associate Pastor Andrew, 
not just the pastoral staff, the disciples, everyone. Who's everyone? Well, everyone is the 120, but everyone is the 3,000. So you have people who've been walking with Jesus a long time and people who just got saved yesterday. And everyone is blown away. Everyone is in awe. Everyone is, it has this breathless awe of what God is doing and everyone does. I want to suggest to you that without the awe here, you don't have the signs and wonders there. That the, the moment we're not in awe of what God is doing and aware of what God is doing, we'll see less of what God is doing. There's something about us having this sense of, of what God is doing. Again, this awareness of his visitation, this awe of, of his invasion into a church in a way that's unusual. I hope you never lose this breathless awe that when people get saved or people get baptized or people are filled with the Spirit or youth are praying or, or God is healing or I tell a story about what God has done here to save this person, to heal that marriage, to heal that person. I, I just pray that we, we never get to a place where we're so used to it that somehow we've, we've come to think of it as so normal that we're not in awe of it. That we're not amazed by it, that we're not taken back by it. They had signs and many wonders and miraculous signs were done. We don't know exactly what they, they were at that point, but we're gonna hear more about it as we go through the book of Acts. And I have to say, you know, as we're going in this in this season and walking, and I hate to use the word season because season sounds like it comes and goes and it ends. I don't believe that. Like everything in the church, I think things start small and they get big. And God is constantly developing the church into his desire and, and to the image of Christ. We're to be a reflector of Christ. And so there are things he's building into us. And right now he's adding to us something that's very much a part of Jesus' ministry, and that's the signs and the wonders. It doesn't in any way negate the importance of, of reaching the lost. That's why there are signs and wonders. But as we're praying for revival and we're asking for, for God to get to, to sweep across this place and turn the hearts of people to him, a part of what he has done in response to that is, is he's doing signs and wonders to draw the attention of people. So then now Debbie, Debbie, you know, she goes to the store and yesterday she said, she said, it, it's just, you know, there's just, people are talking about what God is doing. They don't even go to the church. They're talking about what God is doing here. They're curious about it. They want to know. And it's a great opportunity for all of us in that moment to say, yes, God is working because God wants people to know who he is, how much he loves them. And, and if you want to experience that love, it begins with receiving him as your Lord and your Savior. But... As we think about what God is doing, let me just say this. What we're seeing right now is just the inception. It's just the beginning. It's just like a, it, it's small. And I'm not afraid of small things. Everything at James River started little. James River started little. 
Jesus said, what shall I compare the kingdom of heaven to and what is it like? It is like a seed, a tiny seed that is planted in the garden, but then it, it grows into a tree and fills the sky and the birds of the air nest in it. So what's happening is we're in the infancy, we're in the beginning of, of this part of what I think is part of Jesus' ministry and part of the body of Christ's ministry and hasn't been as much a part of James River, but God is developing us. He's growing us and he's bringing us into a new season. And, and it's, but it's like a seed that's growing. And we have to be careful as we look at it that we nurture it rather than be a naysayer about it that we celebrate it rather than evaluate it. That we, you know, it'd be like this. When, when I grew up on the farm with my dad, we'd go out, we'd plant the corn, and about a week later, I'd ride with him out in the field, and he'd scratch in the dirt, and he would see the seed had germinated. It had swollen, and it started to break open. And then we'd go out the, the next week, and you'd see it starting to come up. And then uh, a couple days later, you'd see it starting to poke through the, the ground. It was a, it was a plant... It didn't look like much in the ground, but it was growing, it was changing, it was increasing, and ultimately it would bring forth a whole lot of fruit. We might just have an apple seed in the ground, but that apple seed's going to become a tree. And what God is doing here is really, it's, it's amazing. I mean, again, I'd, like I said at the introduction, um, stories of God healing people, they're happening all the time. But we have to be careful because there's a couple of things that can work against this sense of awe that creates an atmosphere, an environment for God to work in an even greater way. Two things can work against the sense of awe. One is a critical spirit. So the, the way that works, and let me just say this, I'm, I'm not uh, preaching against something that I know is happening right now. I believe in preventative preaching, but this has been on my heart and I really, I can't get it off of my mind. So I assume the Lord is wanting me to speak it to the church. People say, well, they talk about healing, but I know so-and-so wasn't healed. What you're doing in that moment is you're crushing the faith of people around you. Because what you're saying is, well, you know, I don't know, or how do you know that's real? Or how do you know how many of these have been very, listen, anytime we can, we're having doctors, we're getting the people to give us their medical records or to show us so that we, we know. People will say this, they'll say, well, you know, uh, they, you know they're having deaf, deaf ears open, which there's been a lot of that. A lot of people have received their healing. It's been really quite astounding. But they're having that, but I don't know, I'm, I'm seeing people getting out of wheelchairs now. People have gotten out of wheelchairs, but people would say, I haven't seen that, or I haven't seen the dead raised. You know, I think we have to be very, very careful. We celebrate what God is doing, recognizing this is the beginning, not the end. That this is the start, not even the middle of what he's going to do. And I think we have to be careful about, about how we evaluate. We're better off to celebrate than evaluate. We're better off to thank the Lord, to praise God for what we're seeing than to sit there and let, let the enemy 
or let our own carnal thinking take us down a path of questioning why what else hasn't happened. I think of, I think of Psalm 78 where it says, talking of the, the nation of Israel, they even spoke against God himself saying, God can't give us food in the wilderness. Yes, he can strike the rock so water gushes out, but he can't give his people bread and meat. So here's what they're doing. They're saying, oh yeah, sure. He can, he can cause water to come out of a rock in the middle of the desert that waters two million people, but he can't give us food. You're like, what? As the pillar of fire and the cloud by, by day and the cloud by night, or the pillar of fire by night and cloud by day is shining there. And they're like, where's God? God can't do that. God, we're not seeing. God give us food. Oh yeah, he can give us water. Anybody could do that. This is when the Lord heard them he was furious. I mean, listen, we're not seeing all that God's going to do. We've just begun to see what he can do. And here's what happens to a person who is wise. Here's what you'll do. You'll say, oh my goodness, God is at work. And you know what? God is working in a, he's working through everybody. I, this is what I love about this. It's not just one person. It's not, it's not just a small group of people. Everybody gets to play. And as you hear these stories, let faith rise in your heart. As you hear these stories, you know, celebrate what God is doing. And even as you celebrate, you'll sense faith rising in your heart for God to use you. But listen, to get into a, a critical spirit, watch what it says later in this passage. For they did not believe God or trust him. Essentially, a critical spirit is rooted in unbelief. And, if it, and, and it spreads unbelief. Another, another thing that can kill that sense of awe is this comparison. Hey, listen, I, I praise God for anywhere God is moving, but I'm not, I'm not competing with anybody. I'm not comparing myself to anybody. James River is unique, and God is doing a work, and I can't wait to see what God is going to do because I know the best is yet to come, and I know he's healing sick people. I know he's raising people up off of beds of illness. I know what he's doing. And I'm not going to question what he hasn't done. I'm going to celebrate what he has done. And in the moments where I have prayed without effect, I'm going to do what the disciples did. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to say to Jesus, Jesus, why couldn't I do that and let him speak to me? <laughs> Believing that I'm going to come out of that stronger, more faith-filled, and more able to see him work through me in the future, right? Well, number three, compassionate concern. Compassionate concern. Let's look at it. verse 44. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now, there are some who have erroneously used this text to advocate kind of a Christian communal style of living where everybody gives up their property and they put it in one pot and then they divide it up to people as have need. That's not what this is saying. We know that because verse 46 says they broke bread in their homes. They had homes, they had property, but they understood that God blesses us so we can be a blessing. They understood that if God had done something for them, it was so God could do something through them. That if God has given us freely, we have received freely give. God, you've given to me. Now I'm going to give to others that I might bless them in your name. 
That's why I love the season of giving. I'm not especially, I'll just say this, I said in the first service, I'm not especially crazy about the name season because it makes it sound like we only do it during Christmas. It ought to be a part of our life all the time, right? I mean, giving shouldn't have a seat. There should be in our heart because we love people, because we care about people, because we see the needs of people. We should want to help people. Wherever it is, we should want to do that. So praise God if you can give in the offering. And if, you're, if you haven't, and I know sometimes you have to think about it, pray about it, I, I encourage you to do that because we can help thousands of people. But I hope your season of giving isn't limited to just what happens here. I pray that you look for opportunities to help people, to bless people. Because honestly, they're all around us. I keep cash in my... In my not a lot in case somebody is nefarious, but enough that I can help people <laughs> at stoplights. I like to do that. Because nobody would be there if they didn't have a story. Most of them don't want to be there. Debbie and I were in Florida and pull up to a stoplight and it's a pretty long line and there's a guy, he's a young guy and he has a sign. I thought it was, I'd never seen this kind of sign. And I, I thought, man, that's a good sign. <laughs> he said, it said this, it said, um, would you want to be where I am? He was going by, I rolled down the window. I said, Hey, come on over here. I said, we, we want to give you something. But I said, first, I want to know your name. What, what's your story? What's happening? Because I don't want to just give people money. I want to give them a sense of value. Yeah. I want them to know that they're a person. I want them to know God loves them. I want to know that I'm not sitting there judging them. I want them to know that, that I'm going to pray for them. I want them to know that prayer's going to make a difference. I want all of that to happen in as short a time frame as it has to, or as long as I can have. Yeah. We gave him money and I'm just saying, I hope, however it is, I'm, I'm just uh, not to say look at us, but just simply to say all of us need to look for opportunities to help people because there are people who need a lot of help. And a lot of these people, a lot of the people that you meet, they have stories that you just don't know. And if you knew the story, and if you knew where they came from, you maybe would understand a whole lot more how they wound up where they're at and they don't want to be there, and, and for us to love them and to care and to give them dignity and value because Jesus loves them and Jesus knows them and Jesus cares about them. And maybe you're, I, I care about you and, and I'm going to pray for you. Maybe that's the one thing that makes all the difference in their life for that day and that moment. The early church was characterized by this giving, by this caring about people. It makes such a difference. It's a part of sustaining the move of God because it's impossible for us to say we love God if we don't love people who are made in his image. And so I, I, I want you to know, I'm not, I, I think y'all are the most generous people in the whole world. I mean, I'm amazed by you, but there might be some people that would be challenged or encouraged by this to, to look around a little more and to say, who can I help and how can I help them and what can I do for them? And you may not have a lot, but you, you know, here's what I found. Sometimes you don't have to do a lot if you can just be interested a lot in people. 
and it makes such a difference in the lives of people. And when we love people, then, then God looks down and God, God's he who, he who is kind to the poor, the Bible says, lends to the Lord and the Lord will repay him. You, who, who cares how they got there? The worst thing in the world to say is, well, there's a lot of jobs. Go get a job. How do you know what they're up against? Some of them are incapable because of the, the abuse and the trauma of their life. They can't do what you could do or they'd be doing it. And all I'm advocating for is a heart for people to give them a hand up because they can't help themselves at this point in their life. And again, I'm not angry at anybody. I'm not saying you're not doing it. You just know there's, there's got to be a passion in our heart for people. And if you see anything in me, I, I hope that's what you see. Number four, an aggressive evangelism. Ask the worship team to come. Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God was reaching people every day because every day there are people who need to be saved. You know what? We see that to some degree in the church, but I pray we see it more. I'm thankful for everybody who gets saved on Sunday. Everybody rededicates their life on Sunday. If you're here, you need to do that. If you're watching online, you need to do that. If you're one of the campuses, you need to do that because honestly, God loves you so much and wants to do so much more in your life than you could possibly imagine. You know what? There's never been a time people are more open to the gospel. Never been a time it's been easier to share the gospel. I came across a quote this week. It's by Penn... Well, Gillette, he's the part of the Penn and Teller magic comedy duo. He said this in a video. You can go online, you can hear him say it. I'm an atheist. I don't respect people who don't proselytize. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that people could be going to hell, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize. That's from an atheist. How much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them about heaven? I'm not accusing anybody in here of hate, but sometimes the opposite of love, I don't believe really is hate, it's indifference. And care. Listen, if we really love people, we have to do something about their situation. We have to love people. We have to tell them, even if maybe we don't think they want to hear, and we might be really surprised that they want to hear more than we think. But I'm just saying, it's a great opportunity to invite people. And as we invite people, the Spirit of God working in their heart is going to change their lives, and that's going to change the area, and revival is going to spread like a wildfire across this area, right? I hope you take this message today. I'm not... Um, I hope it doesn't it all come across negative. I just know God is working. I know the early church did some things that made a big difference. And I just want to see God do all he wants to do. But I hope you hear this word from me with the understanding, I think you're an amazing, amazing church. I love our, I love our church. I love you. 
so it's such an honor to pastor you and to, to lead you. You're, you're amazing. And yet, for all of us, there's some that you've not yet jumped in. And I'm just saying, jump in, be a part. And for all of us, the Word of God challenges us to be more than we are so God can do more than we could imagine, right?